Hi, it's Shelley Flett, and I'm so excited that you're joining me to listen to the Dynamic Leader podcast. The podcast is centered around my book, The Dynamic Leader, and includes reading of the chapters, along with interviews with leaders in a number of different industries. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to get yourself a copy of The Dynamic Leader, either online through booktopia.com or at any good bookstore. I'm passionate about creating the next generation of dynamic leaders and sharing tools and experiences that can completely transform an individual, a team, or a whole organization. I ask that you listen with curiosity and be open to taking on different perspectives. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dynamic Leader Podcast. I hope you're all looking after yourself and staying strong at this point um, in the year. Today, I am really excited to have uh, an amazing leader. And I know I say this about all of the people that I interview. Of course, I think everyone is amazing who comes on um, this podcast. But this particular leader is exceptional in um, how they uh, inspire people to be their best and really um, get the most out of their people. So I, I want to thank uh, Spiz Constantino, who is the, the head of business at Australia Post for joining me today. Thanks, Spiz. Uh, lovely to be a part of it, Shelley. Thanks for inviting me. Humbled by it. Thank you. Excellent. Good. So I think we'll kick off, um, you know, with a fairly basic kind of question, although sometimes can be a little bit, um, take a walk down memory lane for some leaders. But how how did you get into leadership at the beginning of your journey in the beginning of your career? Yeah, it all started for me back at Telstra. I was an agent on the phones and I always wanted to assist people. And there was a wonderful leader that observed that, you know, feeling in me and and that stirred up emotion and and said to me, you should consider um, leading people because you clearly you enjoy helping, assisting, and I've been observing that. And so um, what I embarked on was a development plan with my leader at the time to um, find out what the next steps were in order for such a frontline staff member to make that transition into leadership. And I got an opportunity, Shelley. I was uh, a particular leader. I went on leave for two weeks and I was performing pretty well in my nominal role as a frontline staff member. And I was asked by the centre manager at the time, would I mind stepping in for a couple of weeks and see how we go? At the time, that particular team were nationally were when we, because it was a sales contact centre, um, they were actually on the bottom in, in the list of, you know, we had teams that we would rate, rank and rate in terms of understanding where we were um, in the organisation. And they happened to be on the bottom of that list. There was about 34 teams nationally. And uh, I thought, well, we can't go any further down from here. So it's only two weeks. So I, I thought, you know what, I was a little bit ambitious and I thought, look, I'll try and do as much as I can. Um, but where it came about for me, and I thought this this is a good feeling. In that particular two weeks, we went from last to top in terms of sales and outputs and, and satisfaction. So we were able to turn that around very quickly and a lot had to do with just the component of engagement. So that's where it started for me and I really liked the feeling. And from then on, I was able to um, progress into becoming a permanent leader um, I had the wonderful opportunity to work with some wonderful centre managers. Um, I don't mind mentioning them because they are mentors of mine and assist me. Um, Doris Ford was one and Jamie Darcy was the other. And in, in those particular realms of space of time, I was able to be nationally um, uh, the team leader of the year three years in a row, which I, that gave me great pride. 
not so much from a personal perspective, more so that I was able to help others achieve. And that was really uh, a really encouraging point for me. And from then on, I was acting as centre manager uh, under Jamie's absence because he was acting as a sales manager. And from then on, I was able to then be appointed and, and it took off from there and led the biggest business a contact centre for Telstra Business at the time. And from then on, it went on to national manager. And then I moved to MYV and there I was their head of customer experience uh, for MYV, which was very rewarding and fulfilling. And so you went from being um, an individual contributor and stepping into a leadership role and took your team from the bottom to the top in terms of performance and you did that through engagement is that right yeah you don't do it any other way um shall we? i mean yes of course i know that we may think at times that you can cosmetically make a difference in that you know you chase a number in a box there are many ways to change it artificially but that's not sustainable i mean there's so many ways that people anybody that's ever led especially in the context in their environment um, people find ways that they may get to a means to an end um, but really the, under, the, the foundation has to be engagement. It all stops and starts there because once you have engagement of people, you'd be surprised how powerful that is and how quickly you can make results turn around. So how did you learn that? How did you go from, was it something that you just knew to be important? I mean, it's, fairly, it's, it's a fairly profound um, thing to notice straight away in leadership. How did you learn it? Look, it was probably innate, and that's not sound. I'm not trying to sound um, flippant or egotistical in that manner. I'm, I'm really being sincere in that. I think it's an innate uh, ability in, in, in certain individuals that happens to be one of mine, in that even as a young child, I always um, had that ability that I wanted to lead and, and encourage other people to survive uh, and, and be able to do better than they think they can. Um, even at school, at primary school, I can remember... Um, teachers highlighting some things that I was doing uh, as a young child that that stood out to them and that uh, resonated with me. Um, most recently, I can tell you, um, my cousin happens to be uh, a maths teacher in one of the high schools here in Melbourne and, and he's actually working with one of his peers and his colleagues and 35 years ago, um, that colleague that he's working with today was my English teacher and I've still kept the essays, Shelley, from, she would know this, but I kept them because in those essays that she gave me, she was really strong in the way that she marked her essays and her communication. And in the class, I was one of the few that would consistently pass in those essays. And peers of mine and my fellow students would say to me, how did you, what is it that you're putting? So I kept that, that I held that very tight to me because that was like a win for me in that you know, I was helping other people that, that teacher wouldn't be aware that she had a profound impact on me um, from a communication perspective. And, and so um, to this very day, I've kept those essays because they mean so much to me. And they remind me of my beginning as to um, my ability to want to assist people. So when you ask me, how do you do that? Because it's not something that can be taught at times. I think what we can do is then help and coach and develop like what you do with the dynamic leader fantastic it's a manner in people that they can reuse as a reference point in order to cultivate and become better but for me personally i think the foundation of finding that element of engagement in people was really early profound for me um, and it was something that just came naturally to be honest 
And so was, did you have a certain style of engaging that worked for some people and, and not others? Or did you find that you were just open to engaging people on whatever level they needed to be engaged on? Yeah, I think adaptability is really important. Everybody's made up differently. I always use this analogy, um, Shelley. I say to the, all the groups that I meet, even the ones that I just met most recently um, at Australia Post, uh, in a pot of boiling water, what happens to a soft egg? Of course, I'll say it goes hard. And then I say to them, in the same boiling water, what happens to a hard potato? They'll say it goes soft. And so I say to them, and so it's with human beings. The environment that we all probably work in, if you're in a context and environment, whatever realm, um, is the same. But the makeup of the two different items respond differently. And I think the same it appears to human beings that we can all respond differently according to the situation. And so as a leader, you need to be adaptable. You need to be able to communicate and engage with somebody um, very uniquely as opposed to how you engage with another person. Because as you know, there are people that are in a, mind, uh, a closed mindset or a fixed mindset, and there are people that are in a growth mindset. And when you are able to adapt to that person's circumstance, you can try and make a better connection that way. So I think it's important that you identify what are some of the techniques that you can use in order to make uh, an engagement and a connection with some individual. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the more that we can adapt our style, the better able we are to um, get people to adapt their style as well. So, you know, if they're seeing us adapting to their needs, then they'll be uh, more inclined to... Absolutely. Absolutely. Take and, tips. <clears throat> um, and so, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, engagement, um, one of the challenges that I think a lot of leaders have, and this is not something that I've seen of, of you at all. In fact, something that I really admire your ability to do is some leaders have a great ability to engage and connect with people on a people level, a relationship level, but then they struggle to um, hold accountable and really drive performance. And I see you being able to do both. In fact, it's one of the, one of the things that I really, really admire the most is you can still hold the relationship and keep people engaged but also keep them true to their commitment. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've learned to do that? I think um, the best way that I can describe that is probably outlined in the dynamic leader under the dynamic leadership model, to be honest with you, um, Shelley, um, which is so prominent um, in chapter 10, is that you need to understand that there are three streams. First and foremost, the most important in my view is trust. If you do not have trust, you can't build on anything else. Uh, trust is really important um, because once you have trust, it will lead to engagement. It will then lead to a dynamic team. You know, you invest in the relationships, you inspire and respect, and you influence results. Starts with trust and you need to be authentic in it. It has to be genuine. I gave, I'll give you an example of what I did with the people that I met in the business teams. Um, I gave them a blank piece of paper, I asked them, and we were doing it all obviously virtual because there's no contact, of course, as we're all in Victoria, we are all um, stage four. Um, I asked them to be prepared and come with a blank piece of paper, make sure that it was crisp. And they all must have thought, I wonder what that's about, I'm going to be taking notes. And they said, Spears, I've got a pen. I said, hey, you won't need the pen. I said, see the crisp piece of paper that I've given you? Just keep it there and we'll get back to it. At the end of my introduction, I said, now back to the paper. Can you all hold it up? They all held it up. 
I said, can you all scrunch it up into a ball now? And they sat there, Shelly, they were just really trying to see, like, yeah, I can make a really tight ball. I said, that's right, keep going, well done. Yeah, great. I said, can you straighten it out again for me? And try and straighten it up. And they just tried as best you can. Straighten it as, as much as you can. And they got there. And at the end of that, I said to them, can you hold up your scrunched up piece of paper that you've tried to iron out? And they all held it up. And I said, can you keep it up if it's the exact crisp piece of paper that you started off with? And obviously, all the hands dropped immediately, right? I said to them, this exercise is to outline to you in a very practical manner how important trust is. Once it's given to you, when you crunch it up to a ball and you try and iron it out, tries your mind, it's very difficult to return it back to its original state. And the same applies with us as people. Trust is really important. It has to be an authentic. It has to be underpinned by integrity and the, and, and the vulnerability of it, that we understand trust is very, very precious. And if you understand that and you pass on that component, um, people, res it resonates with people. I had in the same meeting, I displayed one of my personal emails that my executive at NYB sent out to the entire business. And I also showcased a direct frontline staff member, their email. And I got the staff members in the new business teams to read them out. And they were very personal, but I wanted them to show them an element of trust that I'm displaying and showcasing something that's very personal about me to you about why transparency and trust is very important. And I wanted them to see a connection from an executive through to a frontline staff member, what they wrote and spoke of my leadership. Was there a correlation and a connection? And then I asked them as we go through the weeks and months, perhaps at a point in time, they could then point to that point as a reference point and say, I remember that. I remember when he showed us something. That takes trust. And I wanted to show that to them to underpin how important that is. Because once you have trust, engagement follows very quickly. People will understand that they'll become adaptable, they're curious, that you know, their perspective on what we're trying to achieve is very clear. And then, of course, once you're a dynamic team, you're transparent, you're accountable, um, it empowers you. And it's very fulfilling. And I also have to say, Shelley, in asking that question about how do I hold people accountable, um, we talk about the dynamic leader, but by characterization, dynamic, when you reference it to a person or a, a people, it's positive in attitude and full of energy and great ideas. You don't have, a, have to have a title to, for example, read your The Dynamic Leader. It doesn't have to have a person, I'm not a leader, therefore I can't read the book or I can't learn these concepts. They're open to everybody. And these elements of leadership are meaningful for everyone, that you can use them even outside your professional realm. You can actually apply them to personal. So the way that I hold people accountable is building trust and saying to them, if we don't do this, what do you think some of the consequences of that are? Rather than me tell them the consequences, I actually ask them as to what do you think will happen if we don't comply? And typically speaking, when you have trust and engagement, people, you will find that people will really be receptive to, to you know, accountability discussion. And so, um, you know, I think, I think it's, a, I think you can't have a, a really effective accountability 
conversation. I don't even like to use that word, but a conversation that holds someone accountable um, without being open to a two-way discussion. So questions are really, really important in that respect, aren't they? Of course they are. And, and not only the questions, the type of questions you ask, it has to be with the tone and manner um, because the person doesn't want to be intimidated by what's going on. Typically, you know, the old style of leadership was that you need to be stoic. You need to be, you know, uh, that it needs to be a, a leader that will drive a team has to be stoic and, and really um, strong exterior and tough exterior and showing no emotion. Really, that's actually working against what you're trying to achieve. Um, you need to have the right discussions and it's allowed, you're allowed to be vulnerable. Mm. You're allowed to talk to, do you know how many people that we speak to, even in our current environment where we're doing so much for our staff and for our people in our communities, um, that they want to see an element of emotion. I mean, that we're all impacted. Just because you're, you're a leader and you lead people doesn't mean that you're not vulnerable or that somehow you're immune to emotion. In fact, it's really strong example to people that you lead that it's okay to share emotion. It's okay to say I need help. Um, it's okay to say, this is how I would do it. What more can I do? Because they affiliate that. You know what they affiliate it with? And Shelley, they affiliate it with humility. Mm. They say that he's down to earth or she's down to earth and approachable. Whereas if you're stoic and you feel that you need to have that hard line, you're actually building a barrier. And it's very hard to potentially break through that, especially if you're an individual that is challenged around multiple components of your role and your nominal role. It's very difficult. And so you need to be understanding and you need to be able to ask the right questions in the right frequency in the right time is very important. You're right. Do you think that um, some leaders find it challenging to be emotional, um, that they um, feel too exposed and this whole concept of being taken advantage of or not being seen as um, knowing what they're doing or, you know, what's, what do you see with leaders around you? Yeah. Well, a combination of all those things, to be truthful, um, some aspiring young leaders, um, they're so motivated. They're, they've got this unbelievable um, element of desire and purpose and direction. And, um, when you're that in nature, it's easy to be able to continue to do that. It's only when you see highly tenured leaders that perhaps have not been coached and developed accordingly, that have not applied the growth mindset, that they are not adaptable and they're resistant to change. Um, what you tend to find is that people think that being a leader is the one way. I've got to be this way. I've got to be... If I don't show that I'm strong, my leader's going to think that I'm not an appropriate leader. That, that, it, that is a fallacy. That's not correct at all. In fact, to be able to underpin your beliefs and your values when we spoke about integrity, um, you're able to show that element. And you don't have to have this persona that um, you have to be a leader that's tough and that comes across aggressive that's not how you you don't want people to perform in spite of you i mean this is an old common saying you want people to respond and perform um, by you being by you inspiring them they want to respect you um, they're not going to respect you if you do not allow them the path to engage with you and if you put up all these 
beliefs that no, a leader has to be strong. You have to, you know, hold them accountable. Um, you know, dish out all these warnings. It's not. That's not the way it works. It should be a democratic conversation. Mm. Like I said before, asking them, what do you think the consequence of such an action is? Do you think that's appropriate? And where do you think that's going to lead? How can I help you on that? And then they might ask you, what would you do? And then you can share your insights. It has to be a democratic conversation where you're, it's, a, it's a relationship. It's, it's, it's not a tell, 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 tell. There has to be an element of discussion in order to get to the, to the core. And as you build trust, engagement will come, they'll give you a little bit more of themselves as well. So, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't subscribe that, you know, people will all, well, the majority of those people that have not um, explored um, different styles of leadership um, or grown with different styles of leadership, I can understand how, and I've seen them, of course, where they're very much in their own zone and they're in their comfort zone and they, they don't want to move either because of fear or they don't know how to. Yeah. And, and their stoicism um, means that they um, are not open to asking. If they don't know how to do it, they don't want to ask the question for... Well, of course, because they'll feel vulnerable. If they ask the question, they may feel um, a little bit, um, you know, when I say the word inferior, I mean it respectfully, they might feel that they're not up to what the common expectation is. For example... I was asking when I first met some of my leaders, essentially young, and they were young, and you've got to have a development pool of people um, that understand how they obtain their role. What did they do in order to fulfill their ambition to be a, a people leader? And some of them can't recall um, their, their, their position description. They did not know that the first element in your job description as a people leader in a contact centre was to coach and develop. I mean, how sad is that for the people that they lead? And how sad is it really for that leader as well not to have known? Because the environment wasn't one where um, it allowed people to grow. Whereas in the current environment, it's so different. It's mm. so different in that people are gravitating to understanding now that leadership is a big responsibility and there is great honour in doing that and there's great pride and there's much to come from it. So the environment has changed, the culture has shifted because people now understand what leadership really is. And, yeah, it's interesting you talk about, you know, that that um, obligation and the core part of a leader's role today and particularly in contact centre environments is around coaching and developing um, staff. If you... Uh, a leader who doesn't particularly like the idea of coaching and developing, what does the future hold for you? Oh, well, that's a very good question. Um, you need to understand the realm that you're working with. And it's okay, Shelley, really, honestly, it is really okay if a leader identifies that perhaps this role is not for them. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, really, there is nothing more important in life, generally speaking, from my perspective, than for someone to do something that they enjoy. Really, even if they've explored it, they're still so not happy. Why would you waste time doing something that you don't enjoy? Go and do whatever it is that, that brings you great joy. Because at the end of the day, you need to be happy and comfortable in what it is that you're doing, in what you're interacting with, and what great rewards come from whatever else it is that you do. So that's okay. Um, 
But for people that want to aspire um, to become great leaders, um, I think it's important for them to understand uh, the makeup of what their role is and understand uh, the responsibilities that come with it. It's okay from time to time. Sometimes as human people, as, as humans, um, we gravitate, the human tendency is that we gravitate to the perks of a particular role. We say, oh, wouldn't it be great? Look at what you get, you get empowerment. You get those things anyway, really. But they generally, generally, not always, so I just want to make sure that that's clear. Generally, they'll gravitate to some form of remuneration benefit. And they are more accepted of that before they are accepted of what their role actually is. So they actually put the cart before the horse. They actually should be digesting what role that I'm about to apply for. What is it that I want to do? Is this what, where I want to be? And I understand the responsibilities and accountabilities of my role. And because of such of the responsibility, yes, it is rewarded according with her particular remuneration. That's the way it should be perceived. That's the way it should be read. But unfortunately, sometimes we don't pay attention um, to what it is that you're getting into. And that's where you get leaders that do a particular role that don't even really enjoy what they're doing because probably doing it for the wrong reason. And, you know, if you think back to, um, I, know, I know when I first joined the workforce and probably with you as well, is you didn't join, you didn't get a job to enjoy what you were doing. You got a job to make the money to live a life somewhere outside of work when you could. So that's really changed now, hasn't it? Of course it has. Of course it has. I mean, once upon a time, um, not many people focused on that. But as we grow and as we learn, and, and in growth never finishes. I mean, I know that you state that many times within the dynamic leader. Um, it never finishes. Our journey to growth and building effective teams and accomplishment, that never ceases. I mean, no matter how long you've been at it, there's always something new that you can learn. And, and I think that's come about, the shift in what you just described has come about because we are more, um, we are more uh, open we're more receptive to what's out there. I mean, what a leader today is today, it's completely different to what it perhaps looked like in a complex center 20, 30 years ago. Um, technology's changed a lot of things. There are many ways more now to engage with people. And so, yeah, it has shifted. It has shifted dramatically as to people really passionate about what they do now. And as a result, um, the benefits and they reap the rewards as they continue to produce outcomes and and successes and productivity uh, of success, uh, they enjoy the spoils of that hard work. So for leaders that have been around a while and have sort of progressed through the years, um, almost need to learn how to um, get more in touch with what are my values? What are my personal values? What do I want for my career? And for some people, it's considering that for the first time. I mean, I'm still having conversations with leaders who, you know, when I say, well, what is it that you want in life? Look at me like I've got egg on my face. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's going, you have permission to think about what you want and you also have permission to change your mind. Oh, 100%. I mean, like you said, the, the belief that uh, there's no real focus on a direction or a purpose or an endeavour. It's just that I wake up and whatever comes, comes. You can't really continue to abide by that. 
there is a time where you need to be um, somewhat really uh, liberated in your thoughts. But beyond that point, there's got to be some form of idea, um, some perspective, a goal of what you want to achieve um, in order for you to, to do that. And so when you ask people that are not familiar with those sort of things, I can understand and they see you in that way. I think that's strange. Well, she's asking me uh, what, what my, you know, what I want to achieve and what, what drives me. Uh, I thought it's just go to work, get money, and just pay the bills. It doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, there could be some more, so much more to, to, to achieve and to be fulfilled by, by really having direction and purpose. I mean, if you look at in any organisation that consistently wants to be the very best that they can be, in particular in the environment that we work in, with Australia Post, we really take very serious our brand and what it means to um, our communities of Australia. I mean, we're talking about a 212-year-old organisation. That is something that we should all protect as custodians for the future generations. So we take great pride in that. So how do we build that brand? And it is about having purpose, having a direction. When you ask me, what do you want to achieve? I should have, be ready in my mind as to what is it that I want to achieve? And it doesn't have to be in a corporate world, it can be in anything. But there has to be a vision and a goal and an outcome that you aspire to. And you need support networks around you to help you get there because everyone can contribute to your journey. Everyone can help you in your journey to achieve what it is that you aspire to achieve. Um, never let it be said that you can achieve it on your own. That is not possible. You need to be humble enough to know that you need people around you to support you, to encourage you, to drive you, to hold you accountable, Shelley, of course. Um, you need this, but you need a direction. And I think it's really important for people to explore that. They'd be surprised how fulfilling their life could really become if they at least explored that possibility. Yeah, and I've seen a number of people um, throughout the time I've been coaching who've experienced that. And it's amazing to see, you know, it's like the shackles have been taken off and they've got, they've got this renewed freedom or a freedom that they've never felt before. So um, they love that. So thinking, so coming back to accountability and thinking about what the future of the workplace look like, looks like. So um, I'm seeing a lot of teams that are playing around with an autonomous concept, others that are more matrix. So there's not a, there's not the standard hierarchical line of reporting that you report to multiple people, or in fact, you report to the function itself as opposed to any person. And so I think about how accountability works in that realm in that for me to hold someone else accountable, I don't need to be their manager. I actually just need to have had a commitment with them that they haven't seen through. Um, but what's in terms of holding someone accountable that isn't a direct report of yours, do you have any advice on how you would approach that? Does it still come back to trust, engagement, the relationship? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Look, it does help if the person is aware of who you are and, and of your brand. Why is that important? Because that's perhaps a platform that you can use in order to engage with them in the first place in that conversation. Um, but there are many ways that you can do it. Um, you don't necessarily have to go directly to that individual. You can actually pass on um, and, be, and hold the person accountable indirectly by approaching their line manager and saying, hey, just want to pass on feedback for coaching purposes. It's the language that you use, Shelley. You know, it's the language that you use and the tone that you use in that you're not giving the feedback as criticism. 
or critiquing them. You're actually saying to them, look, I find that there's an opportunity here for so-and-so for them to improve in what they did because what they did is X, Y, Z, and the outcome is this. How can, we, how can we resolve that and help them along their journey? Can you please pass on these specific elements for coaching purposes? And if, they're, if the gaining manager that's receiving that feedback is receptive, they'll be able to deliver it in a, in a wonderful manner. But if it is to be able to speak to somebody that's not a direct report one, of course you can. Who says you're not? Just because we need to understand leaders is not confined to your stream that you lead. A leader should be anyone. And remember what we spoke about, Shelley, we spoke about that a leader is not a title. It's actually someone taking action. So by me not doing that because I fear they're not in my line of report, that's actually not demonstrating leadership qualities. Actually, it's the reverse. You actually have to be able to do it. And there's many ways you can do it. So I was wondering if we could catch up and have a conversation. I just want to give you some feedback. And then what you're able to do is then engage with that individual and give them the feedback. And in the feedback, again, we've got to be careful that it's not just tell, 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 tell. You can state what the feedback's about and then ask them to interact as to can they sh share any light or shine any light on what is being discussed. And if you can engage with the individual, they will take that and they'll appreciate it and I will thank you for it if you outline the purpose of why you're giving the feedback. It's not to tell them off. It's actually more to empower them. And, and so there are ways to do it. But uh, I encourage anybody that has to give feedback to an individual that doesn't directly form in their reporting line. That can, of course, you can still do it. And it's really important that you do it. We need to all hold each other accountable and feel that we're empowered to do so. So there are ways to do it. One of the ways is to be honest and transparent and tell them what the circumstance is and then have a discussion about what can they need from you and what can you do to assist them and then what are some of the actions that they can take on to make sure that they improve on whatever took place. And so um, what happens when you don't like conflict and you associate holding someone accountable to a form of conflict? How do you get past that? And I'm sure you've got leaders you know, that you work with who don't like conflict and, and sort of try to do things to avoid it. But what they need to do is actually just have the conversation. Yeah, tough conversations, right? Um, it's, it's, it's really important. And some leaders fear it and some people don't find it um, beneficial or they don't feel comfortable. In order to better understand it, you need to do some homework to understand the person's background. We don't know the private battles that everybody's fighting, um, Shelley. We don't know what's causing people to respond in a certain way. And rather than making assumptions, the better way to do it is to embark on an endeavour of understanding. And so understand it and try and have a discussion where you slowly but surely build their trust, um, uh, the trust them to trust you, and then build engagement, and then be able to have that conversation where you can feed it back to them and say, I've noticed that um, you avoid conflict. Can I ask why? And you can ask that question um, once you're in the right environment to find out what is it about them avoiding conflict or they don't want to have tough conversations. And when you're in, when you're speaking to someone um, 
uh, about an element of them you know, avoiding conflict. If they can give you an insight as to why that is, um, then you can actually progress. Um, it's important for them to understand that they are in control. They are in control of an outcome because you see, you can't get an outcome on your own. As a leader, we will say, we want to achieve this objective. It doesn't matter what strategy has been written or who's written the business strategy or initiative. If there is no engagement to deliver on the initiative, it's not going to work. You actually have to have that engagement. So it's proof there that it needs to have an interaction. So the best way to do it is to understand why does somebody feel conflict for a discussion or uncomfortable having a tough conversation, especially if they happen to be a leader. They don't want to, um, typically the one that I constantly um, have come across is where the leader and the direct report or the people that they lead um, have blurred the line between what it is to be a leader and a staff member of your team. And therefore what happens when that is blurred is they feel that, how do I hold this person accountable now? Because they're a very good friend of mine. They've become very good friends. We socialise outside of work. How am I going to tell them now that their core quality had failed and the impact to the customer was great? I can't do this. I'm going to avoid this conflict because I fear that my personal relationship will be in jeopardy. If you're in that sort of environment, that's a tough environment to be in because as leaders, we always need to make sure that not that it's more important to be a leader, absolutely not. There should be no hierarchical design. That my role is not more important than frontline staff members, only different. In fact, their role is more important than mine because they deal with our customers every day. So it is to get them to understand clear expectations. This is what your role is. This is what my role is. And there's nothing to say that we can't be friends outside of work. Of course you can. But as long as everybody understands the accountability component, they hold each other accountable. You need to understand that component um, in order to be able to achieve the outcomes that you want to achieve. Um, there has to be that transparency in order to be able to have really tough conversations with people. And also, and I like what you say about, you know, engagement, but it's that commitment to this is what I'm actually going to do. Because I think sometimes um, leaders will have an accountability conversation with something that the, ha that the person hasn't committed to. So it might be, you know, um, the time that they arrive at work or the time they finish off work, um, a leader might have a problem with that where actually the conversation around working hours has never actually been discussed and therefore the conversation doesn't go well because the frame hasn't been set and hasn't been the engagement or the commitment up front. Um, and so commitment's a really big one around holding someone accountable, isn't it? Of course it is. I mean, if you're not committed, you actually have to be... Um, clear on your commitment? Do you understand the responsibilities um, that you're taking on and that you're prepared to deliver on? And if you don't have that clear understanding of your commitment, and I'm committed to be a frontline staff member, I'm committed to be a team leader or a team manager, I'm committed to be a senior manager or a centre manager, you have to understand your commitment and what you're committing to and understand the responsibilities that sit within that commitment. What are they? Are they coaching and development? Are they listening? Are they reward and recognizing? Is it, co is, is it 
uh, inspiring, uh, you need to understand the commitment um, that you're making to because sometimes people sign up for something they don't really understand. They've committed to something, but neither do they have the skill or the knowledge proficiency to deliver on something that they've committed. So what we're doing here um, is setting them up for failure. Yes. Uh, we actually, they're setting themselves in, if you're the leader that's allowing that to happen, to fester, then you're actually contributing to that setting you up for failure. Um, commitment, understanding of clear commitment is really important um, because it gives you a clear guide um, how you should behave and how you should manoeuvre within the realm of your role. And if you don't have a clear commitment by anybody, how are you going to achieve anything? Because we talk about reliability of commitment. Commitment on its own is important, reliability of commitment. There is no point having a staff member that is outstanding when they're at work, but they're not there frequently. They're not committed to the role because they don't understand the impacts of it, of not being there. They don't connect the dots to understand that by my not coming to work frequently, has a material impact on our customers and my teammates. When you make a commitment, you have to understand that it's a frequency of commitment. How regularly are you able to come to work? It's really important. Mm. And you talk to character and brand as well. I like how you connect, you know, what it is you do day to day with um, how it actually impacts the whole business. And, you know, you mentioned customer quite a lot in they are the most important thing in any business is your customer and so i like the linkage that you have around you know you do great work but you need to be here more often otherwise the impact of the the customer into the business is is that i think some people struggle to connect those dots and so it's really good to be able to even if you think that they should have connected them i think it's really good to be able to talk about that anyway i think it speaks about um, again empowerment and people to understand their purpose um, I think it's important that people understand, um, you know, the rules of engagement, which I know you speak about in the, the dynamic leader, Shelley, very well to encourage people to, to really concentrate on that within the dynamic leader. Um, it's really important that people understand um, the impacts they have. You cannot operate with, you can, but it's not beneficial to anybody, including yourself if you do not understand that you have so much more to offer people, team, members, organisation, customers and yourself, understanding the commitment component, that if you believe that someone else will do it, I don't really care, that's not accountable. That's not a commitment. And though we may think that I've got so much going on, I'm just going to worry about my own backyard, I don't care about anybody else, that's not actually helping anybody on their journey really the people that are in that space and that prosper and grow are typically people that are prepared to at least have a growth mindset that they are okay to reach out and say i need help here i'm not enjoying what i'm doing it's probably having an impact on my my peers and our customers i really want to enjoy what i do how can you help me these are the things that i am challenged by and then you have a discussion about that because empowerment um, is so critical in when someone has a commitment, we empower them to continue to perform. One of the things that I am not uh, a big advocate of is micromanagement. I mean, why would we do that? 
Why would you micromanage someone if you don't trust them? I know that you gave a great example again in the dynamic leader where we talk about micromanaging people and that the thought is that if they're not accountable, like it says, um, I'll do it. I'm going to do a task now, Shelley, that I am not, uh, it's not tailored for me, but I'm going to do it because of fear of the work's not going to get done. So I'm just going to take on a task. That's not how it works. You should actually be advocating tasks for people that is within their realm. For example, let me just talk about something that I'm really passionate about, coaching and development. When someone is about to be coached in a coaching session, let me say, everybody deserves to be managed and coached and developed. Everybody. Um, who is it responsible? Who's responsible for the preparation for the coaching session? Is it the leader? I'm going to do this. Or is it the person being coached? Of course, we know that it's the person being coached. Roger Federer, who in my view is the best tennis player that's ever played the game. When he's preparing for a coaching session, I'm pretty sure Roger doesn't go to his coaching sessions in his jeans and shoes and his shirt and, and walks on the court having someone say to him, okay, Roger, you need to get dressed now. Can you please put on your, your, your shorts and your shirt and your runners? Roger is dedicated enough, committed enough um, that he comes prepared for the season. He knows what awaits. And so he's prepared. Um, he, he doesn't allow someone else to take that task. And nor should we. We should empower our leaders to prepare their staff for coaching. And then when they come to coaching, you have a democratic conversation and you hold each other accountable and you set tasks and actions that there's ownership to. And that's how it should be done. Because typically what I've seen, Charlie, is that... Um, People take on tasks that don't belong to them. And that, that is detrimental because we should not be doing tasks that someone else should be doing. That's their role. And sometimes we do it because we want to protect them. Fear of conflict, fear of tough conversations. I want to hit my KPIs, so I better do it. Mm. Uh, that's not the approach. The approach is, has to then go back to accountability, trust, empowerment, um, engagement, and empowerment's a really big one. And it's prominent even in our values at Australia Post. Um, we're governed by four values, and we call them the ties, Shelley. Uh, trust, inclusivity, empowerment, and safety. Empowerment's there for a reason, because we believe that everyone should be empowered to make decisions, that not every step of the way you need to seek permission. Of course, there's a time when you need to do that, of course, um, to ensure that the decisions that are made are sound. But beyond that, um, we don't need to micromanage people. I think if we are micromanaging people, we're doing two things. We're saying two things. One, we don't trust you. Two, I don't know how to have a conversation with you. And we steer away from that. That's gold. I love it. Now, you mentioned, and this is the, the last question I've got for you in terms of leadership, and then I've got another kind of random question that I want to ask is, oh. when, how often do your direct reports hold you accountable? What a great question, um, Shelley. Um, in the beginning, never. Because <laughs> I thought, I'm not doing that. It's very career limiting, right? Um, what, what, uh, there couldn't be anything more false than that. Um, so what a great question. Um, currently, they frequently hold me accountable. Why? Because I say to them, um, I don't want you just to nod. Forget about the title. 
Remember, forget about the title. We're all the same, just our roles are different. We support each other. It's okay to get feedback and appreciate feedback. So if I'm about to do something that you think is not right, you need to hold me accountable. And they do, Shelley, they really do. For example, I'm gonna send a message to my entire channel and I'm gonna put some message in it. Before I do it, I will check with my leaders just to sound, just to sound check and proofread the elements that I'm going or I discuss with them what I'm gonna put in. They say, no, don't do that, Spears, because A, B, C, and D. I say, well, that's a great call. I didn't think about that. So they do, they have, I have built them in such a way of trust and empowerment that they feel comfortable to come to me now and say, hey, Spears, that wasn't quite right. You shouldn't have Thank you. Hey, don't do that. There's gonna be downstream impacts. It's a skill and a craft. But again, Shelley, for people to do that, they need to feel empowered to do it. So I empower them. I let them know I'm concerned if you're not holding me accountable. Am I not, clearly I'm not doing the right thing because if I was doing the right thing, you'd be reaching out to me and engaging me far more frequently than what you have. So I say to them all the time, don't think that I know all the answers. I don't. That's honest. That's transparent. In fact, I said to my frontline staff um, that, you know, upon my joining Australia Post, I'm, I was very deliberate, Shelley. I made sure that in every, and I had, I held 22 leadership meetings because obviously the scale of my workforce, right? I needed to break it down and do a presentation for all of them. And so I made sure and certain that in every session, there were frontline leaders that were leading that team and the senior managers and made sure that they were present in every session for the frontline staff to hear me say that I inherited the environment that I accepted in my commitment to joining Australia Post. And I said to them, if we have not coached you and developed you, if we have not listened to you, if we have not rewarded and recognised you, shame on us. And it was important that they heard me say that in front of their leaders because I wanted to empower them to know that the conversation I'm having with you is exactly the same that I've had with the people that are in the room that happen to be your leaders. It was important that they didn't feel, oh, he's only saying something very, you know, that, that's very uh, mellifluent to us in this room, but who knows what sort of conversations he's having with the leaders outside this room. So I was very, very strong in making sure they were present in the room. And by doing that, I always say to my leaders, you need to hold me accountable. If I'm not delivering on something that I've said that we would do, or it slipped my mind, who's gonna, who's gonna check for me? Who's gonna make sure that I'm continuing on the right journey? Of course, I've got my leader and frequent discussions um, with Teresa, who really um, uh, discusses things about not only what are we doing, we're excited about what we're doing, but also my personal development. Where are my shortcomings? What do I need to improve in? What do I think I can contribute to? What does the next role look for me? Those sort of discussions, you need to be held accountable. So I think once you build trust and engagement, empowering of your direct reports, you'll find that that comes naturally the other way. And some people have not practiced it enough to become better at it. I love that. And I think it's a really good, um, I think it's a really good place to kind of end on um, if you have people in your team that aren't holding you accountable, then you're probably not creating the right trusting, open, empowering space for them to do that, in which case you've probably got a little bit of work to do. Um, yeah, it's a really good one. So I have one last question and it's a bit of a, a 
curveball question. Um, and that is metaphorical. Uh, I love the metaphor around um, the, the egg and the potato in the water and one goes hard and one goes soft. I love that. Um, but I want to ask you, if leadership was a dish or a food, what would it be? Oh, wow. Oh. Leadership was a dish. What would it be? What a very important question, Shelley. Um, it's going to take a little bit of thought for my part. Um, if it was, oh, look, leadership is a combination of so many things. So what do I talk, think about um, that I think it's a lot? Um, probably have to say a seafood platter, Shelley. Why? Because it's not only one thing. It's not confined to just one component. There are many things that make up seafood. There's crabs, there's mussels, there's calamari, um, there's fish. Um, and so there's so many components that make up that dish. The same it is with leadership. Uh, so many components make up a leader. Um, and uh, I would have to answer uh, a seafood platter. I love it. And seafood's so delicate, isn't it? It is. It is. Just the, the slightest change in conditions can influence the flavour and the texture and how it actually is digested. Well, look, I think that applies for most, most meals, to be honest. But it is. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's the frequency, um, the delivery, how much it takes, that how much time do we invest in preparing and developing a leader? Um, how much time do you spend investing in becoming a good chef? Um, you know, to be able to prepare all these types of meals and to have those sort of discussions. And isn't it funny that you use that, that metaphor? I love it. In that, you know, we are all, the people that we lead, we all love different types of dishes. And so as a chef, a leader, if we may use that metaphor, you need to be able to prepare different types of meals for everybody and to accommodate their wants, their desires, their requests, their shortcomings. And so... Um, it takes time and effort, but once you're passionate about what you're doing, the commitment's clear, the trust is there, the engagement's there, the empowerment's there. I wouldn't do I wouldn't do anything else other than lead people. It's just that pleasure. Like I said at the beginning, I'm humbled by it. Um, I I always set out just to lead a team. Shelly, a team of ten would have done me enough um, to be able to be. Um, appointed as the head of business, I take that very seriously and great pride and humility. I'm going to do my very best to deliver on what's expected of me. I have no doubt you will, Sviz, and I, um, I love the metaphor. I even love the chef analogy because I think you know, when you said that, I was thinking when I worked in hospitality, I was the waitress. And so, <laughs> so you, you know, you'd, you'd deliver a steak to a table and, and they'd put the hand up and go, it's not cooked right. And then you'd take it back to the chef and the chef then would yell at you about, um, you know how incompetent the customer customer was about what rare is and what medium is, and that they don't know when actually they just didn't get what they wanted, and sure they might not have communicated effectively. But the role of a chef is to go, well, okay, let's try to get closer to what you want, and then take it back out. I love that. I think um, I think it's such a good good metaphor. Yeah. And now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you so much um, for joining us on the podcast today. I love your insights and I think our listeners will as well. Um, if anyone wants to connect with Spiz, um, I'll put his um, LinkedIn um, profile link into the, um, into the comments. So please be sure to connect with him if you're, um, if you're wanting 
um, to, to follow his greatness. Um, but thanks again, Spears, and um, I look Thank forward you, to Thank you, Shelley. Really next pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me along. I had a lot of fun. Um, great interacting with you, and good luck to everybody. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Dynamic Leader Podcast. I hope you found some value in it. My biggest mantra in life is to pay it forward. As a leader, you have your own unique experience and this could make a huge difference to someone else. So I encourage you to tell your leadership story, your failures and your successes, along with what you've learned along the way. Let's make the leadership playground safe enough for leaders to fall and get back up again. By the way, if you have a leadership story that is worth telling, I'd love to hear from you and even have you on one of my podcasts. So drop me a note and let's have a conversation. Thanks so much for listening.